I didn't want to stay in the house with the kids the whole day, and it was 110 in Palo Alto. So I, um, I took my two middle daughters to, to San Francisco because we went down to, the, down to the water. It was probably 85, you know, so it was definitely you could, you could deal with it, not, not such a big deal. Um, but what I, what I noticed, and I think it actually got worse, um, the amount of homeless people who are, you know, sitting on the floor and, and are catatonic, like they're, they're just, it, it's just terribly sad to see how many people are just completely not part of this world. And for whatever reason, they, many of them at least have just checked out and they're, you know, addicted to drugs. And, and that's the only way that they could find any sort of solace, any sort of um, a happy place, right? It's very sad. Um, I, I don't have any solutions, you know, I, I wish I had some solutions for that. But the truth of the matter is, to some extent, I think this is something that a lot of America and probably the world is suffering from today. And this, uh, there's an emptiness, there's an emptiness, there's a, a lack of purpose for many, many people. And I think what it boils down to is the, the uh, dwindling respect for God and the dwindling belief in God, which is which the numbers bear it out, it's really going down just in the past 10 years in terms of the idea of having a belief in God is, is something which is now, uh, you know, you're a loser, right? You're, you're part of the, the, the horribles for having a belief in, in God. And that, that's something that the elites believe. And when you don't believe in God and you don't believe in, in an afterlife, then it's very hard to see a purpose in what you're doing. I'm talking about on a macro level. I'm not talking about on, on an individual level. And I'm not talking about in terms of people have purposes, of first day purposes. I'm talking about what is the purpose of this world? What is the purpose of life? Without having that, sometimes it could be when things are not going the way that you want them to go, it's very down. It's very, uh, it puts you on a downer. And I was thinking that maybe this is part of the reason why there's such divisiveness. Because if you don't believe or aren't sure about what the purpose of everything is, you know what's very easy to have a purpose? It's very easy to be anti something else, right? To find a purpose, that's harder. But to be anti what other people stand for, that's very easy to, to, to accomplish. And it could be that that's part of what's, uh, you know, what's sort of driving this, uh, the enmity and the, the, the um, division around the world partly has to do with this idea that when people don't feel that they have a purposeful life, then it's very easy to become a hater. And uh, I, I don't have an answer for that either. I mean, you know, uh, hopefully, hopefully Mashiach does come soon and hopefully then there is way more of a, a revelation and a manifestation of God's presence in the world. And, and we are told that everyone will then recognize that. And when you recognize that, it, it does give your life a sense of purpose. You know, as I finish with one more point but related to this. A number of years ago, I was asked by someone, um, you know, prove to me that God exists. So I said, I can't, I can't prove to you that God exists. It's not, it's not actually possible to prove. So, um, so I said, I'll tell you this, though. Living my life with the belief that there is a God and living my life with the belief that this world has a purpose gives me a far richer life. So whether or not I'm right or not, I personally believe I am right. But whether or not I'm right or not, that's not even the point of the conversation in terms of saying, what does it do for me? I think it does a tremendous thing for, for people who do live a life in which they're striving to become better people, in which they believe that there is a God who created the world and cares intimately about what we do. It just invests everything with a sense of purpose. And like I said, that's something that's missing, I think, in, in a lot of America today. Okay, let's continue. Chapter 20, Assessing Piety, on page 144. And we're discussing the idea of that when we think that we're being extra pious and we don't want to listen to Lashon Hara, and then all of a sudden we have this negative consequence that if you dial the open, 
Achikam would have listened to the Lashon Hara, then he would have uh, he would have been able to protect himself from this individual who was trying to assassinate him. Right? We have the the concept in Judaism of chabdeu vechashdeu, which means that if someone is purported to be having something evil out for you, or something in general, someone who is purported to not be the holiest of people, you should still honor them, but you should also chashdeu, you should also suspect them. In other words, you should be protective, but at the same time, you cannot believe it fully. So what would have been his best option? His optimal option would have been to perhaps protect himself from the circumstances that could lead to an assassination while still treating this individual, Yochanan, um, not Yochanan Kareach, I'm sorry, Yishmael, by still treating Yishmael as if he's trying to do everything right. So treat him like a regular person. Don't treat him any differently, but protect yourself to ensure that bad things won't happen to you. And that would have been the proper response. The second Beit HaMikdash, the second temple, was also destroyed by piety of this nature, which was not properly evaluated. Regarding the episode of Bar Kamsa, okay, so the episode of Bar Kamsa, the famous story of Kamsa and Bar Kamsa, where there was a host who did not get along with either Kamsa or Bar Kamsa, it's not so clear, and he invited one of them, he sent the servant to invite one of them to his house, and fortunately the servant invited the wrong fellow. When that fellow showed up, he said, get out of here. And he was terribly insulted and he embarrassed. He said, please don't kick me out. I'm willing to pay up to a quarter, up to half, up to three quarters of this entire, of the entire cost of this feast, this great feast, if you don't disgrace me and embarrass me and humiliate me by kicking me out of this feast. The, the individual, the host, we're not even told his name, said, get out of here. I don't care how much money you're paying me. I hate you, get out of here. The individual, um, Barakamsa, who was the one who was kicked out, he felt terribly insulted and aggrieved that the sages who were at that party did not stand up for and, and say, hey, this is just not the right way to act. You, can, you cannot humiliate someone in public no matter what your prior relationship is with them. It's, it's unacceptable. He was terribly humiliated by that and he was angry that the sages didn't stand up for him. So he tried to get the sages. And what was his plan? He told the Romans to send a, an animal as a sacrifice. But he told them that um, he ends up, he, he blemishes the sacrifice in a, in a very minute way that for the Romans would not have been enough of a blemish to not be brought as an offering in their temple. However, in Jewish law, it was enough of a blemish that it could not have been brought. So they, they bring this animal. And the reason why he's bringing this animal, he wants the Romans to get angry at the Jews when they don't accept the animal from the, from, from the Romans. So the sages said, that the blemished animal that Barakamsa brought as a sacrifice on behalf of the Romans should be offered as a sacrifice. In other words, they said, given the fact that we recognize what he's trying to accomplish here, and we recognize that if we do not accept this sacrifice, the Romans are going to come and kill us. We have to do it, right? This is a situation of bikuach nefesh, where lives are at risk. Rabbi Zechariah ben Afkula said they will assume it is permissible to sacrifice a blemished animal on the altar. He said we cannot go down this path. This is going to lead to a, a uh, the entire sacrifice service will be completely compromised. So they said, you know what? We're going to have to kill Barakamsa. Barakamsa is trying to kill us, right? He is someone who is, he's Bala Hargai. He's coming to kill us because he's coming to sort of incite the Romans to destroy the Jewish people, right? So we're allowed to kill him to forestall this. Rabbi Zechariah ben Achayla said, they will assume that one who blemishes a sacrificial offering is punishable by the death penalty. Can't do that either. During the course of events, the evildoer went off and slandered the community of Israel. The emperor came and destroyed Jerusalem. So what, where are we going with this? This is what Rabbi Yochanan was referring to when he said 
The humility of Rabbi Zechariah destroyed our Beit HaMikdash, burnt our sanctuary, and exiled us among the nations. So on, on first, at first glance, if someone was watching these, this incident playing out, they would say, Rabbi, you guys are like bloodthirsty. What, what's, your, what's your ish, right? And you would say, Zechariah, oh, you're such a nice, sweet guy. You got, you got the right thoughts in mind. You're, you're a nice, you know, very peace-seeking. But the reality is that it was a backwards way of looking at things because he was being extra pious but he was being extra pious without foreseeing the consequences of these actions. So you see, one should not judge the piety of a deed by the initial impression it makes. Rather, one must appraise, as far as his intelligence will permit, the overall implications until he is able to objectively assess what will serve him better, doing the deed or not doing the deed. For example, the Torah has commanded us, continually reprove your fellow man. Right? So this is the mitzvah, which means that you're supposed to give musr, you're supposed to rebuke someone when you see them doing the wrong thing. So on numerous occasions, one undertakes to rebuke sinners at a place or time where his words will not be accepted, thereby causing them to press onward with their wickedness and to desecrate the name of the eternal, adding rebellion to the sins already committed. The Torah tells us this is what you should do. But the sages explain that certainly if the individual is not going to listen when you rebuke them, then all you're doing is you're causing them to now be doing the sin, but with the full knowledge and understanding that you're not allowed to do it. So then not only are they doing the wrong deed, but they're doing the wrong deed in a way of saying, we don't care about you, God. Acting in such a manner is not piety. And one should rather be silent. As our sages of blessed memory have said, one of the most critical lines in the entire Talmud, just as it is a mitzvah to say what will be heard, it is also a mitzvah not to say what will not be heard. And once again, something that is incredibly important in contemporaneous life, right? You know, where, where, where the divisions are so, they're, they're there, they're all over the place. The fights can creep into life about anything, spouses, siblings. Like these days, it's so easy to set people off. I, I told you that story about this individual who called me because his next door neighbors uh, wants to get divorced because his wife wants to put up a Black Lives Matter sign and the husband doesn't want to put up a Black Lives Matter sign and she did it anyway, so now he wants to get divorced. And now, obviously, there's a deeper background to that whole story, that particular one. But the fact of the matter is, it's very easy right now to set people off. It's very important to remember, you can say something very smart. It doesn't make you a smart person, right? So it's important to always remember what you don't say is just as important as what you do say.